Welcome everyone to Sunday Morning St. Luke's Forum. I am so excited about the conversation we are about to have <clears throat> with Coy Wire. Uh, Coy is a, a former NFL uh, football player himself, and then he has had an amazing uh, uh, role and career with um, being a television commentator, and he now works for CNN Sports. He is a full-time commentator and also correspondent and an anchor. And he has been doing some amazing in-depth stories about the profound, profound cultural shift going on in our country as expressed in what's going on with professional ball. And he's done some awfully important profiles with NFL players basketball players and other athletes and we're going to unpack that because I simply want to again underscore that what we are needing at this time is a change in the story we are tired of the same old movie that doesn't have a different storyline and in order for us to pull that off and it is our responsibility we cannot be passive recipients of whatever happens historically we have to be involved and that's what these athletes are telling uh, Koi. And it's really, really wonderful. But before we get there, I just want to uh, say how um, I have holy pride in the fact that Koi is a member of St. Luke's uh, mm -hmm. Church with his wife, Claire, and their, and their baby and, and a baby on the way. And he's a person of deep prayer and deep spirituality. And uh, also, I, in doing a little bit of background, found out that his mother named him using the Japanese word for love, which just turns me on. So welcome, Koi Wire. So yeah. glad you're here. Oh, so happy to be here. Yes, um, part Japanese. Um, so my, that's, you know, kind of my name. I know love is your thing, a big sip of love in the morning, right? So. Hopefully this big sip of koi right now can uh, <laughs> lift some spirits this morning in the conversations of the stories of the athletes we're going to talk about today. I love it, koi. Thanks for saying that. Thank you very much. So start where you think the story ought to start. Uh, we are seeing a, a cultural shift. I don't know if you need to start with Colin Kaepernick or, or start before or after that, but just tell the story. You're the professional storyteller here. Well, the thing that I've been uh, seeing, Ed, and hearing from, from athletes um, and black prominent entertainers in our country is that for so long they've been so fed up. And this goes back to the 60s uh, when you had um, the, at the 68 Olympics, you know, uh, raising a fist to try to bring, raise awareness to these very issues that here we are more than half a century later, it's still happening. And um, so there are a lot of athletes um, who are taking it upon themselves as role models and the lives of a lot of especially youth um, to, to realize enough is enough. And we are going to make this front and center, um, use our stage, our platform as athletes to, to really shed light on this issue that's been around for decades and uh, and decades and decades. And so you're seeing, um, Ed, you're seeing NBA players who they're on, on the cusp of 
potentially getting back to, to play here. And some of them, star players are saying, you know what, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe that would, would, would divert attention and energy away from this very important discussion that's in discourse happening across our, our country. And so you're having these athletes understand their, their responsibility, their power their vo in their voice. And I, I think we're just seeing that evolution. You know, you, you said we're yearning for that true change, right? And can it be different this time? And just having seen in, in the past, you know, uh, five years or so, back to, to Colin Kaepernick, the last time we saw this sort of issue really come up when af as pertaining to athletes, the narrative is much different this time especially what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing from, from, from black athletes, Ed, is that it's what they're seeing and hearing from prominent white athletes. In 2016, they didn't have the same tone that we're seeing, seeing now. It was kind of they're dipping the toe in the water of trying to help and understanding. And yes, it's important. And uh, but but I respect the flag, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna kneel during the anthem. This is just an example. Whereas now you're seeing you're seeing head coaches of the NFL saying I'm gonna be right there beside my players kneeling. You're seeing prominent white athletes in Drew Brees. Uh, first he comes out and says, I'll never be on board with someone who kneels during the national anthem. But then he talks with the other black leaders on his team and in his community, and he understands you know what it wasn't about the flag and I'm changing my tune. I get it now. I wasn't really listening before. And I think that's what we're seeing is these white athletes now really listening. And some have said, you know what, it's because we're not at facilities. We're not with our teams. This pandemic is happening. And so as we're isolated and we're forced to watch what's going on around us and we're not distracted as much as we've been before, that's part of this evolution in the conversation and the contributions we're seeing from from athletes of, of all uh, sports when it when it comes to this, uh, Matt Ryan here in Atlanta, he started a GoFundMe this time around. He he put in half a million dollars of his own money to start it. Uh, significant um, um, contributions to the conversation and to uh, those uh, initiatives which can help create that positive change that we so so desperately need right now. Wow, that is a, such a great summation. So let's go back and unpack some of the stories that are connected with some of these people who now really are leaders. I mean, I think it's important to understand that leadership is being exercised here uh, in some of these people. So just give us, if you don't mind, uh, the short story of Colin Kaepernick, just in case we've got viewers who don't have anything connected with that story in their mind. Yeah, Colin Kaepernick, um, he led the San Francisco 49ers to the Super Bowl. He was at the top of the world um, athletically. He went to University of Nevada before that. Um, he grew up raised by white parents. Um, he after after that Super Bowl run, he didn't have the best success um, 
and and he started to fall off a bit. He actually lost his starting job for for a short time there. And it was during that time and that transition in his athletic career that he started to become very active and engaged in social activism. And that's when he first sat on the bench during the national anthem. And when asked afterwards uh, by reporters why he was sitting, he said it was to shed light. I want to call attention during that moment when we're supposed to be focusing on this flag, this anthem, this home of the, uh, the, the, the brave, the, you, know, the, you know, the land of the free. We're not free right now. Yeah. Um, and we, I want people to understand what's going on in, our, in the black communities with social and racial injustice, uh, with police brutality pertaining um, specifically to African-Americans in our country. He got a lot of heat for that, um, that first time around. He was concerned though, and he cared enough to hear the problem with sitting during the national anthem. So he actually talked to another former NFL player who actually happened to be an, uh, a veteran of the military as well, an army ranger, which as you know, are some of the beastliest of the beasts, right? Yep. Very respected in the military. Yeah. And Nate Boyer, was his name, told Colin Kaepernick, here's why there's a problem with that. And Colin Kaepernick listened and Nate Boyer said, how about you find a compromise? What if you go to the sideline and kneel during the national anthem out of respect for the military and our nation while at the same time you're bringing and calling attention as you wanted to do. And that's where that kneeling came from. He actually did rise to a knee. He didn't fall to a knee. He started sitting, he rose to a knee to, uh, to try to, to, to show that he was understanding and hearing um, what many had a problem with when it came to the anthem. Well, after the 2017 season there, he, he never got signed by another team again. He was not brought back to the San Francisco 49ers. Many felt that he was certainly, even to this day, has the ability to play in the NFL. I saw him just seven months ago outside of Atlanta at a public workout for pro scouts. Um, he can still throw. He certainly looks the part. Uh, many feel that he should at least get a backup role in the right. NFL. And so that's the case. Many said that the, the NFL blackballed him and he actually sued the NFL. They reached a settlement. Um, and so that's where we are today. Um, you know, it, when this, when uh, the, the, the killing of George Floyd happened. Eventually the conversation got back to what are these NFL players going to do when the season rolls around? Are they going to kneel again? And immediately as journalists and other athletes around the country that I've spoken to, they said, oh my gosh, here we go again. It was never about the flag. It was never about disrespecting the anthem. Colin, Ka Colin Kaepernick said, look, I have family members who are in the military. I love our military. That's not what this was about. So it flared up again. The NFL got brought into the equation again. And this time the NFL players in an unprecedented move. I've never seen anything like it, even heard anything like it. Some of the biggest stars in the sport, Tyron Matthew, that Super Bowl MVP, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you can go on and on the list of the prominent black athletes in the NFL. They put together a one minute and 10 second video calling out the NFL and saying, listen, what if I was George Floyd? What if I was George Floyd? And 
are you going to listen to us now? You're either with us or you're against us. We, and they, they demanded that the NFL condemn racism and say that publicly, we condemn racism and that we stand with the Black Lives Matter movement so that the NFL doesn't get into this predicament where they were the last time this all happened where you had some owners, they're trying to figure out how we're gonna deal with the anthem and it's not about the anthem. Just say you're with the movement and you understand what it's about. And you know what the NFL did? Roger Goodell released a video in response to that saying, we the NFL condemn racism and we support the Black Lives Matter movement. And they committed uh, and $250 million over the next 10 years to initiatives that will combat racism and social inequality and injustice in our country. Um, so that is a big move by people who came together, these athletes, and said, you know what, we are going to be heard this time. This isn't going to be pushed, swept under the rug, and it's not going to be pawned off and turned into some political conversation about the anthem and the flag and our military. It's not about that. These players said enough's enough. This is what this is about. Listen to us. Listen to us this time. And uh, that's what we saw across the board. LeBron James in the NFL, he posted a tweet of a picture of Colin Kaepernick kneeling right beside a picture of that officer Chauvin kneeling on the neck of George Floyd. And he said simply, now do you understand? Now do you get it? Um, and, and we saw that all across. Um, and I think what's significant this time, Ed, is, as I mentioned before, is the narrative among prominent white athletes who understand they have a voice and a platform that creates change uh, in communities, especially within our youth. They are on board this time, much more so than they were before. So that's where I feel things will hopefully be much different in terms of advancing our society and distancing ourselves from that terrible, terrible issue, um, the, the systemic racism and inequality. Yeah, yeah. So one subtext, it seems, is that there has been a refinement or a deepening or a clarity about what patriotism is. I mean, because so many people who resisted Colin Kaepernick's message and didn't even hear it were branding him and dismissing him, actually, as somebody who's not patriotic. Is that right? That's exactly right. And then, and he has persisted in, from my perspective, in a really kind of gentle way of saying, no, 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 I've got something to say here. And that's a that's a reductionistic superficial way of interpreting it and so it's almost as if more and more people in the country have begun to see oh there was something there going on and then when LeBron James put those two photos side by side people began to get it oh my taking the knee there's something pretty deep and rich in that yeah absolutely and and again I want to emphasize something that I've heard from several athletes like we think people are actually seeing like George Floyd is one of many yeah and and this happened <laughs> you can go down the list in just recent years and we wore the t-shirts that said I can't breathe when it happened 
before. We held, held up our hands in a don't shoot manner when it happened before. We tried so many different ways. And here's just another example of the many. Will you listen this time? And, and these athletes said that they think that uh, this being in this pandemic, people can't go anywhere. They can't be distracted. There aren't even any live sports to distract people right now. And so when this uh, happened, the attention is really on it now. And, and maybe some of these voices are, are being heard more than they were in the past. Yep. Uh, you know, so I, I think that difference that you talked about, um, some of the athletes I've spoken to have been part of these peaceful protests mm -hmm. we've seen all across the country where if you, it's almost two different worlds within these gatherings that were that we saw in these cities all across the country you'd see the peaceful protests the people down on the knee the people singing the people praying peaceful protests but then you saw the rioting the looting and it's different right it's the same thing it's not the same people no right and that's what a lot of these athletes were were trying to get people to understand like yeah. no, don't look at that that's not us that's not the black lives matter movement that's something different than what we are doing and what we've been trying to do for for so long. And I think many more people get it this yeah. time. I'm really glad you went there, Coy, because I've been involved in protests since I was 20 in 1968, right after Dr. King was killed. And the uh, and the black, uh, <laughs> I was about to say the Black Lives Matter, the uh, Poor People's Campaign came through Macon, Georgia, where I was a student. And so we got together and joined that march and I've always seen it as a, actually a sacramental, contemplative, prayerful thing. And then when the Occupy movement came to Los Angeles, when I was in Pasadena, California, we would go down and be chaplains to those people who were there in, in downtown. And there were all these anarchists and provocateurs who came in, having nothing to do with the energy of the positive protests. And I, I, I'm so glad you took the opportunity to say, we're talking about two very different energies, two very different populations, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm really curious. I, so another theme here clearly is the fact that we've got systemic racism and that has to change. Now I'm interested in actually three leaders or they may, there may be four as you uh, unpack all of this. But I'm interested in what you can tell us about the, and, and let's just take them one at a time. First, who were the people who really got the NFL players together to organize this one minute, 10 second video? Who are the, who are the folks behind that, that you admire? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it was an employee of the NFL ah. who worked in social media. Yeah. And he was fed up with the NFL's what he saw as their inaction and they're distancing themselves from this situation as opposed to taking advantage of this moment and joining with their players. The, the, the NFL is nearly 70% African-American. Right. Okay? And this employee said enough is enough. We can't say anything we've tried and it's not enough from our perspective so we're i'm going to reach out to players started direct messaging 
on social media, reaching out to the players and said, look, I want to help push this thing forward. I want to help get the NFL to do more, to say more. Are you guys interested in my help in piecing together a powerful social media uh, video that could potentially create positive change? And these superstar athletes, one by one, got on board because they knew like, we do have an opportunity here. Strength in numbers, right? Yep. Um, the interesting thing about that is that employee was a younger white guy. Ah. Um, and so he knows his job's on the line. Right. There's an article about him and he talked about how he got a call the next day into the office of, the, of his boss and he thought, well, virtual Zoom call, right? Right, right. <laughs> and uh, he thought that might be it, might be done at the NFL, might be fired for stepping outside. About, they're not allowed to contact players one-on-one -on -one like that. I see. But he did because it was it was important to him and he felt it could potentially be powerful and uh, so that that's someone who you know we can look back in through our own bible and 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 you can find people who did something that was considered stepping outside the boundaries not walking that straight line yeah that bold spirit and that's what it took uh, when they knew it was for the right reasons and for yeah. a good cause um and they did it they went with their heart and their spirit and so that, that to me is, is bold. Very that bold. Me is courage, right? Yeah. yeah. That whole wonderful value of the, having the courage of your convictions. Mm. Here's somebody who really had a conviction and stepped out uh, and risked some stuff. Well, I'm, I'm really, really grateful to hear that story. Now, there are two other stories I want you to unpack and then yeah. we're gonna go on to another set of questions. Yeah. But, um, from from what you know about Roger Goodell, can you talk a little bit about what you think happened in his thinking and soul uh, to lead him to make that response, uh, which was really awfully powerful, that video? Yeah. Uh, you know, Ed, I, I think that the NFL, it, they did a lot after Colin Kaepernick. They really did. They committed $100 million to initiatives they, uh, that would, would support social and uh, ra racial justice. Um, they did that the first time, but I think they understood that it's more than just throwing money at something. Um, it's, it's publicly speaking who and what you are and what you believe in, not hiding it under a lampshade, right? right. kind of putting some money towards it. No, um, I think that there was, there was no where for the NFL to, I don't want to say hide. Right. I, I want to say that they had, they knew they had to do more because here were their players, their star players uh, banding together and say, it's not enough. You need to join us in this. We have an opportunity to do something really powerful. And because it was, uh, it said from a, a place of, of positivity and a place of uh, this desire, this yearning to create change. And it, it was for good reasons. Like how could they not do more? And how could they not say, I'm going to open my ears and eyes more this time. And I'm going to truly try to understand what we maybe missed the first time. And they, 
they did that. You know, Roger Goodell and the owners of the NFL, they realized it was not enough and more needs to be done. So the NFL has three black head coaches out of 32 teams. In a league that 70% African-American players, there are three black coaches. There's one of Latino descent. (laughs) So you talk about minorities uh, in, in leadership positions, only two of the general managers of the 32 teams are black. So to say that there is not this systemic racial issue that has existed since the beginning of the league um, would just be ignorant. Um, And now that you know, it's not enough to say anymore that you didn't know, because now you know, right? And those are some of the conversations in the reporting that I've done that are shedding light, like, oh my goodness, how is that possible in a league of 70% African-American players? There's only two general managers of the 32 teams. There's only four minority head coaches, only three of them are black. Um, So, and it sheds further light on, oh my gosh, the NFL has the Rooney rule that was implemented over 10, about 15 years ago, where anytime a head coach or a general manager position comes open with a team, they have to interview at least one minority candidate. It's a rule because the NFL themselves said, we have an issue with this. It's happening. All these owners and organizations are hiring white people. Yeah. Um, so there has been this, this issue. And the players, yet another example um, where they're fed up they're going to be heard this time. And, you know, it's happening in other sports as well. Like I said, yeah, you have some star players saying, maybe we shouldn't go play. Maybe we shouldn't distract and have people rooting in front of a TV. Maybe we should keep them in front of the TV watching these peaceful protests and hearing, you know, what's going on in our country when it, in, in terms of racial injustice. That is notable for them to say, maybe we shouldn't get back into the arenas right now okay there's one other person i want to ask you and you mentioned him earlier drew Brees, because here has been a real transformation in somebody can you give us a little profile about him and and this particular story so drew Brees is a, a future hall of famer he is already has more passing yards than anyone in the history of the nfl um he's the leader of the new orleans saints um and he's quite literally the, the, the leader of that football team in, on the field, but also a spiritual and motivational leader. He's the one cheering them and rooting them out of the tunnel on game days. He's a very inspiring person. Um, now, when it came to a reporter asking him, you know, Drew, with everything that's happening right now, if when these games come about this season, are you gonna kneel for the national anthem? And he said, no, I will, I will never, I will never support anyone kneeling for the national anthem. I have two grandfathers who uh, fought in the wars. And, and when I look at that flag, I, I think of a sense of pride in those who sacrificed their lives to have the freedoms we have in this country, all valid, all justifiable. But what wasn't okay with players on his own team, another team captain, Malcolm Jenkins, specifically who he spoke out in tears saying that hearing those words coming from Drew's mouth hurt him more than any because it was like hearing from his own brother. Um, 
and that he understood in that moment in hearing Drew that Drew didn't get it. Drew still didn't understand He's, because he had Richard Sherman talking about, well, there were African-American soldiers who fought alongside, well, in, you know, fought in those wars with your two white grandparents as well to fight for the freedoms. But we as black people, we as black athletes are not free the way people think we're free to this day. That's why these peaceful protests are happening. That's why we need to talk about this more. That's why, Drew, you need to try to understand what we're saying. Um, so Drew Brees really uh, had a, he and his wife had a, a change of heart about, because they were so dug in on patriotism and military and America and, and the anthem. And, and I do understand as a journalist, I see what, why they get to that place, but it does build up a wall around them where they, they can't hear or see the other side. And that's, that's my job in journalism, right? I'm, I'm, I try to see all angles to see, well, this group says and feels this, this group is saying that. Uh, and, and right there within they're the same team, Drew Brees and Malcolm Jenkins, you were seeing the racial divide in the psyche and thought process in terms of this topic with, that's happening within our country. And Drew Brees understood, finally, right? Um, wow. And, and it's powerful. And it took, I think, seeing some of his own teammates in tears, grown men, some of the toughest on the planet. This guy's a former pro bowler. He's one of the fiercest tacklers in the NFL. And he's, he's sobbing in tears, trying to get Drew to realize what this is all about. This is not about the military. This is not about disrespecting our flag, right? Um, so I, I think that is a powerful storyline because we're gonna see that and we are seeing that more from others who had Drew Brees' mindset and mentality about it and others who are trying to create positive change in the manner that they're doing it. So it's, it's a really difficult topic that, you know, I, I, I see what both sides and why it is so challenging. But the, 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 the good thing is now it seems that people aren't as dug in as they were four years ago when this yeah. was happening and yeah. like wait a minute okay i kind of get it now all right i'm i i i hear what they're saying like i'm listening this time before they heard it they heard it they heard it but it's just between hearing it and actually listening right yeah um so yeah it, it'll it will be uh very interesting to see because again as i said earlier we've had at least one nfl head coach now who said I'll be right there kneeling uh, beside my my players. Wow! Because I understand what what they're trying to shed light on, and it's and what they're peacefully protesting is justified. It needs to change, and I'm be right there with them. So, Coy, that's that's just a breathtaking story, um, and that this whole notion of having relationships across any kind of divide. And then having these intimate conversations, so intimate that you show where your heart is broken and you tell those stories, they have such power to transform. 
somebody else who just had some blinders on them, you know? And unfortunately, keeping the blinders on literally hurts people and kills people. We've got to get those blinders taken away and to have these relationships that I think are based in love, you know, to take those blinders away. That's a stunning story. Now that'll preach. That'll yes, yeah. <laughs> that'll preach. Wow. So um, I just wanted to explain another thing that's driving me um, in having this series of conversations with leaders like you. Um, Oprah Winfrey gave a graduation address. Um, and now it's maybe six weeks old. And it's, it's so fine and so powerful that I taught it uh, in a PowerPoint uh, for my Wednesday class. Um, one of the points that she makes, and she's not the only person who's making this, this, uh, this plea, um, is that each of us has an essential job in this historic moment to move it to change the story and to change the culture and to change the society and it behooves us no matter what our age no matter what our background to figure out what is your essential job to help to use dr king's words to help move the arc of the universe toward justice because that just doesn't happen on its own all of us have to do so can you talk a little bit about how that connects in either with people you have been reporting on, or maybe in your own heart. What are you thinking about? Is your essential job right here? Because you're a person who has an eye for justice and injustice, fairness, uh, systemic inequality. Are you hearing other people's grapple with their essential job? Or do you want to talk a little bit about Coy Wire right now? Well, uh, I, I... I don't like talking about myself. <laughs> but Please maintain your boundaries. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, I, I will say that these have been such trying times, right? And these, 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 these have been, there's been a lot of sadness and we have this pandemic going on on top of all the racial um, discourse that's happening in our country. Uh, and, and people are dying, people are getting sick. We can't go out, we can't see our friends. We, you know, um, can't see our own family members. And uh, so it's very difficult. And the one thing I hope that we all remember is that, that somehow, some way, if we keep our minds and hearts and spirits right, we will be a little tougher when this is all over. We will yeah. be stronger. Uh, we will have learned more, whether it's with the racial dialogue going on or there's something where ha this is happening for a reason, right? When I was in high school and I injured my ankle or dislocated my elbow or in my, in my college where I broke my thumb or in the NFL when I messed up my neck and I had a titanium plate and four screws on my neck after every injury or, or setback, my dad would always say, son, this will probably be one of the best things that ever happens to you. And I used to hate hearing that. And I hate it. I'm like, Dad, what are you talking about? I want to get a scholarship, or I want to make the all-star team, whatever it is. And you know, he but he was right. He, he was always right because I always worked a little harder. I became hungrier. I studied more. I used that time to refine myself in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise. And I think that we can do that right now. 
and we can hear these conversations that are going on. We can say, yes, I was dug in on this or that issue, but I am going to use this time right now so that I and we can all be a little bit better tomorrow than we are today. And I'm going to try to hear what they're saying and, and take it all in. And what's missing from me and what can I take from them that can, can lift me up and what can I communicate and what can I get out there that can maybe lift those around me up. And as long as we, we, we try to do that every day, I mean, we get, was it 86,400 seconds in a day, Ed, right? Every one, we're either getting better or worse. Amen. That's it. There's no staying the same in life. So take these moments and, and, and listen, whether it's athletes or whether it's, you know, others in your own community, you know, reach out, listen, you know, speak your mind yeah. in a loving way, you know, and, and, and learn from this. And that's what I'm seeing from the athletes who are impacting our society right now. LeBron James is out. He's, he's creating this, he created this program to help educate voters on the next uh, election. He wants everyone to be informed on like the important issues and, and, and he doesn't have to do that, but, but, but he's, he's finding a way to positively impact those around him and our community and our society. So how can, can each of us do that? Again, yep. Matt Ryan right here. Yes, I'm gonna give half a million dollars, but I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna meet with black leaders in my community. I'm gonna meet with other uh, black athletes and social activists and I'm gonna, what, what am I missing? Where am I miss, missing uh, something in my heart that I have before I know I haven't done enough? You know, I've just been status quo. I want to smash the status quo and I want to learn from you and I want to learn from you and how can I be better? Because I know I can, because if I'm not getting better by doing those things, I'm getting worse. Amen. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. That's so eloquent. I mean, that'll preach also. And thank you very much for going there, Coy. I, I know you don't like to talk about yourself, but that was the very, very powerful. And, and, somebody we haven't had time and our, our time is almost gone you know is to talk about lebron james who is just a stellar athletic talent but he's a stellar citizen too i mean it's really wonderful to understand that all of us can be stellar citizens and i love the fact that you emphasized that you have to be a learner and you have to be a listener in order to pull that off that's it Every, every day we have the opportunity to learn more, to grow more, to be more, or to not. And yeah. I think as, a, as, a, as individuals, as a church, as a community, as our neighborhood, I mean, start with your family, right? Yes, yeah. start with yourself, but start within your own family. Be a little bit better today. Listen to that brat of a child. Let me try to understand. He's probably still gonna be a brat. She's still gonna be a brat. <laughs> But, you know, just you know, start within your own household or your neighbors or some of the people you feel close to at church. Just start there and start having these conversations to get better and to grow and to learn what's going on. And, and specifically, what again, what I'll take it back to what I'm hearing from black athletes, black leaders, black entertainers that I've spoken to, um, that I've interviewed, that I've reported on. They want to hear more from white people. Right. And so I really encourage you when you are reaching out, have those difficult conversations with your black friends, with your black uh, church members, um, you know, reach out to, to people, 
who can really help push you and stretch you and grow you in a different way than, than maybe you have ever before. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. So um, I've got to wrap it up, but I can't, I, by the way, you mentioned your parents. Please give them my regards. I met them at your daughter's baptism. Gosh, what wonderful people they are. So um, it's yeah, lovely, lovely people. So give them my love. And then the other thing is, so again, maintain your own boundaries here. Uh, I'm one of the priests in your life, and I know that you are a deeply spiritual person yourself. And I know just just a tiny bit about what that's about. But as kind of a, a closing word, is there kind of one thought or one conviction you have in your own spiritual journey that you try to keep in mind that you would be willing to share? Yeah, um, I think you know the story of how my, my wife Claire and I met. Um, you know, she, she was uh, reading, uh, as my favorite book at the time, and, and is The Power of Now. And all I saw was this book, you know, and, and in that moment, I just, I really needed to know how this person liked the book. And I said, excuse me, miss, how do you like that book? And she said, it's fine. <laughs> uh, and, you know in her in her defense this is back in my playing days when i was like 30 pounds heavier i probably look pretty scary um, <laughs> but there was something about her that i needed to go talk to her and, and it was the power of now i didn't let past failures or attempts at talking to women discourage me i didn't let future potential like well what if she says no i get I stayed in the moment and I just went over and I asked her, can we go to lunch sometime? And you know what? She gave me her real number and her real name and we went to lunch and I knew after the third date that she was my wife. And, and here we are, you know, 12 years of marriage and, and we're getting ready to welcome our second baby girl in early September. And it's one example in my life where the best things happen when you are in the moment. Yes. That's where the spirit that's flowing through us at all times, that's always right here in our hearts and our minds and in our beings. In the now is when that spirit is at its full potential. We're not casing it in, closing it in out of fear or layering up, you know, our pasts or our future worries and doubts. When we let go of the past and let go of the future and we just live right here in the moment, that's when we can live and be all that we are meant to be. Um, so it's just living in the moment. The power of now is, uh, is, is the one thing I strive to, to um, take with me every single day. Um, you know, yes, we step out of it to the future to plan a little bit, but then we hop back. Yes, we go hop into the past because I remember I did learn from this. I'm not going to do that again, but hop right back into the now and be you and be confident in you. Be confident in your, your spiritual training, the lessons you've learned from Ed and others at church and, and just be confident in who you are and go out into the world and take that lampshade off, shine bright for all to see. Wow, powerful, powerful. Coy Wire, thank you so much nice. for such a rich conversation. You have taught me so much. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Oh, no, thank you, Ed. I, I respect you so much. It's an honor and privilege to be here talking with you and sharing with you. Thanks, my friend. All right. Have a great week. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye.